This should be your new theme music <laughs> for the holiday season. We'll just play this one every Friday for the for December. It's a Christmas. It's Christmas time. Welcome to Lacrosse Talk PM. UW Lacrosse Political Science Professor Dr. Anthony Tragoski in here with me. Happy Black Friday, Rick. Happy Black Friday. Oh, the I feel like yeah, we kind of we've we've gone back to a Black Friday after multiple years of Black Thursday. I feel sure. Uh, maybe the 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 weirdest thing in the history of capitalism was <laughs> stores deciding that Black Friday getting up and I kind of appreciate this because I'm not a morning person getting up at four in the morning and standing in line on a Friday outside of a Best Buy, which is historically like in the early 2000s and 90s. I don't know when that kind of stopped. The internet's kind of taking this over. So so corporations decided that wasn't good enough. What we need to do. In a, in a holiday that's centered around dinner, right? A lot of people probably have Thanksgiving dinner at 1 p.m. or I don't know, traditionally sure. like 1. Um, but but it is kind of a supper time type meal too. Like people, or you have multiple ones. Like you hit the noon one at, with your family and then you go to your extended family or your wife's family or your husband's family and hit the, the, the next house, right? And you have four or five Thanksgiving dinners. Some people do it that way. But, but... Corporations decided, you know what we should do is we should open our stores at 5 p.m. on a Thursday on Thanksgiving <laughs> at exactly the time that you would be eating supper, Thanksgiving dinner with extended family or perhaps your own family. Let's let's open the stores and 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 make people instead of spending family time. I mean, what kind of boneheaded idea? And it worked. It worked for years. And we stopped that because I think COVID ended that. I think so, Rick. And now more and more you're seeing companies advertise that they're closed on Thanksgiving right. and using that as a plus for their marketing. Now, Black Friday, I do think, is back. And I don't think Cyber Monday, though, is as much of a thing as it used to be because I was reading an article that talked about all of the deals that Amazon and Target have had online since October. And they've started the holiday shopping season a solid month earlier than normal. So I don't think Cyber Monday is as big of a deal, especially when Amazon makes up things like Prime Day in the summer and they right. just make up these random shopping holiday events but they're not actual holidays they're just something jeff bezos imagined in his <laughs> in his head to get people to buy more stuff from amazon yeah there's multiple multiple stores of doing this and they just they're having cyber mondays every monday yeah until christmas and um yeah just the i think you you say cyber monday is dead i'm saying black thursday is dead i'm also saying black friday today is kind of dead and maybe people are sh obviously people are shopping today but it's more like black November is kind of or so. black, black November and bleeding into December um, because the shopping season with the Internet is taking control and um, logging in to the deal. Here's here's what's happening is as we've figured out a way to become a member of a store. So you pay an extra fee, a ten dollar a month for you're you're now an exclusive member. I know Walmart does this. Best Buy does this. Um, others, I'm sure, are doing that. And then you get early access, mm -hmm. and then they and then there's multiple events, quote unquote events, where you can, as a member, pay an extra fee, and then you can get early access to the to the the stuff you want to buy for a little bit cheaper. But you also have to, you know, be online, and then you wait online, in line. So there, we, yeah, which is way better than standing outside of a Best Buy at four in the morning like I did in high school. Oh yeah, gone are the days of standing outside of Best Buy or Walmart for the 
you know, cheap television and sizing up who you might have to punch to get your to get one of the few that are in stock. I mean, those were the big things back in the day, Rick, I, right? I will the say, mobs on Black Friday oh. and the injuries and the spectacle of it. Well, and that still happens because you can be in the Walmart and you just hover around the thing. That's how it used to be. But I will say in like 1995, when I was a sophomore or junior in high school, my mom takes me to the store, right? We're at, uh, it was called American at the time, it was an electronic store. And we wanted the big speakers. They're literally still in my, no, I just gave them to my nephew, actually, just like a couple months ago. Uh, These giant speakers that every kid in college and high school needs for their stereo, right? And they I were, had to fight off five we guys were, to get these speakers. Well, we were first in line. <laughs> and then we go to get the speakers, and they're like, yeah, we sold out of those yesterday oh. because somebody brought in the ad and said they wanted them early. And my mom, like, turned around to the crowd, and she said, they sold out of these. She just told the story, and she, like, incited a riot. <laughs> <laughs> and she goes, we need to demand. I don't exactly remember how it went, but, like, we demand that you know like and it was like a mob rule and then they had to give us like an equivalent so they gave us a deal on the whatever the equivalent it was but i i the speakers i have are technic speakers so they're not like the bose or you know the awesome whatever version i don't remember obviously but i i literally just gave this these speakers this could be an uprising in that store yeah this is you know anytime you have a little anytime i have a little issue with like i i just i'm not getting my way with the company with the store i'm not getting Send send in mom. I can still do it. Oh, my wife is who I send, Rick. I'm so conflict averse. I avoid conflict like crazy. Meanwhile, my wife just like lets people have it. And I'm like, uh, I, I don't know her. I have nothing to do with her. Like, I, uh, We're not related. We have nothing to do with each other. I've learned from my mom and learned from going like the Iola car show where we're at the swap meet and bartering. I've learned the barter. So I'm, I'm sure. getting pretty good, not at inciting riots and, and mob rule, <laughs> but I'm getting pretty good at like, when I bought my truck. Uh, I brought a friend and I, I whittled the guy down from like seven grand to five grand or whatever, you know, because I brought five grand. This is how much I'm paying. And then and, you know, we get I get the, I bought the truck and then my friend's like, I can't believe you did it. I can't believe what you just did there. <laughs> like he was just flabbergasted at the at the barter. I learned it from mom. All right. When we come back, we'll talk a little politics, but I want to talk, uh, you know, like it's it's a Friday after Thanksgiving. Everybody's checked out. So, you know, we'll talk about that, how we all and checked, we're checked out. out and we're checked out, too. we're checked out, too, as well. <laughs> all right. Uh, we'll be back. So my rule is, kind of, my rule kind of is I can't play Christmas music till December. So we're breaking rules here. You know, Rick, I have a similar rule, but it's a little different. It's after Thanksgiving. Oh, it is after. You can play Christmas music. So today. I believe my dad's rule is November, which drives my mom crazy. Yeah, if it's early November. Yeah, because we're just in in the way the weather is now. We don't even get snow until, you know, late November. So it's always kind of goofy. Um, and I think I think classic hits is start starting their classic hits miss. Do you, oh, do you okay. do that one where instead of having classic hits, we just have Christmas music on and sure. through Christmas, which is always kind of my favorite too. Ninety four point seven. All right, that's you to be lacrosse political science professor Dr. Anthony Tregoski, whose favorite Christmas artist is Andy Williams. It is Mariah so, Carey, number two. Mariah Carey. Oh God, don't even get me. We agree on Andy Williams. We strongly, strongly disagree, disagree on Mariah Carey. Mariah Carey. Yes, strongly. And and we'll uh, you know we'll continue the Christmas theme for the rest of the Fridays and and when it, when December starts, I will be playing Christmas bumper. It's called bumper music. So yes. Christmas bumper music. 
All right, so we we ranted and raved about uh, Black Friday. I want to keep this going. Um, I know it's the day after Thanksgiving, but I just want to. And as we're we've all been checked out for the week, this is kind of the theme on my show. Is we're all kind of checked out, except for the, except for Pat Stevens, who's putting rotary lights. He's stringing lights up. Yeah, he can't know, be checked out. And, and the parade is going to happen at five p.m. today. Right. The rotary lights parade, and then Santa. Pat Stevens told us on Wednesday Santa has been good, so they're allowing him to switch on the lights. So that's going to happen tonight. And a new route. I'll just say a new route to get into rotary lights. So go check out. You know, the go to Rotary Lights or WisdomNews.com or the I think the Lacrosse Police Facebook page. There are maps because you got to come into Rotary Lights from the south side now. Um, apparently, that's going to be safer. In my head, it's left turns instead of right turns. So we'll see how it works. I'm not going to tell. I'm not going to pretend to know traffic better than the police. So that as I as I always <laughs> rail that the police should not have to be traffic police. They should do police police work. Um, but here here they're in charge of traffic. All right, sticking with the holiday themes, I, I talked to the Lacrosse Teachers Union president about just real quick. It was like a minute second. Um, Thanksgiving movies. Mm. I feel like there aren't very many. No, they're not good ones. You can't. The only one I can think of is, and it's been a like a, a top of the hour news segment is the Thanksgiving Charlie Brown Thanksgiving. Oh, sure. That isn't being played on the air for the first time or second time in like whatever, however many decades this thing has existed. You need to subscribe to Apple TV, right? Yeah, you have to get uh, Apple TV. I'm sure you could probably find it on YouTube illegally. Uh, Or you know what you can do? I just saw this story. Because there's nobody content managing Twitter right now. (laughs) Full movies are going on Twitter. (laughs) But you have to watch them in like whatever Twitter's length of video time is so you so it'll be a thread of like however i don't i didn't i haven't looked but i bet you could probably find the 1973 charlie brown thanksgiving on twitter because uh elon musk has fired the content managers that you know take down the copyrighted videos that are illegally up yeah there. it's like elon musk and 12 other people who work at twitter now <laughs> it's But yeah, no, you know, that one's literally, but so I was going through the Rotten Tomatoes list of top Thanksgiving movies and did I close it? I'm going to be mad if I closed it. I wrote some down, but oh, here it is. Okay. So the, the top ones, we'll get to the top ones here. Uh, I'll just say, I'll just do number one, two, and three, which are three movies I've never heard of. And maybe, so the gold rush, 1925. Remember that movie? Oh yeah. Nobody. (laughs) Uh, Miracle on 34th Street, 1947. I've honestly, I've never seen it, but it sounds like a Christmas movie, not Mm -hmm. a Thanksgiving movie. Um, The synopsis in this Christmas classic. So why is the sound of Thanksgiving? (laughs) Uh, So it's, I mean, the the theme is uh, the 60 best Thanksgiving movies, your holiday movie theme. And number two on the list is a Christmas movie. So this is how bad Thanksgiving movies, as we all sit at home. With family, you know, yesterday and today, we need to watch a movie. So, Rick, like, is the like, idea here that football so thoroughly dominates Thanksgiving viewing that there's no point in even yes, making a Thanksgiving figured, movie? Yes, that's exactly it. I didn't. You know, I can't believe I didn't think of the 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 political science nerd thinks of the sports analogy. <laughs> Good job. Uh, number three on the list from 2015, Krisha, K R I S H A. Never heard of it. Number four, Fantastic Mr. Fox, which looks like an animated movie. Oh, sure. And I've never seen that one. And number five is The Humans from 2021. Uh, it's just a Thanksgiving. So so top five, never terrible. Sounds like the worst. Number six, however, on this list, the best Thanksgiving movies. Number seven is confusing. But number six, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. This is one of my all-time favorites. Have you seen this one? Yeah. 
And have you watched What About Bob yet? I've always, I, I keep have, Rick, yes. <laughs> okay, so because I made you like, this was probably you like made me watch two it. months ago. Did you yep. like What About Bob? I loved it. Like uh, Baby Steps to This, Baby yeah. Steps to That. Um, yeah, what about not a Thanksgiving movie? It's de- what about Bob is like a a springish summer like summer vacation movie. So like you know, but plane, train, or automobiles. Like if it were, if anyone's watching a Thanksgiving movie, it's it's this one. Uh, number seven on the list, Rocky. I'm not really sure. Like why am I? It's Thanksgiving. I'm gonna watch Rocky. Is that because I ate so much yesterday? And there's a scene in Rocky where he's working out. He's like in every Rocky. <laughs> there's a scene in every Rocky where there's just like a very you know, dun, 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 the very motivating. Oh, and that's probably how we all feel on Friday after a Thursday Thanksgiving and Friday as we're eating leftovers three or four times. Like, man, I got to start working out tomorrow. Oh, this list, this list is really reaching for a Thanksgiving angle in some of these movies, Rick. The only one that is actually a Thanksgiving movie is the Charlie Brown one. Right. And that one and the Charlie Brown one is 21st on the list. Yeah. So how is that possible? Well, because probably it's not a great movie. Is it just not really the best Charlie Brown movie there is? It's just nostalgic, and it literally has Thanksgiving, and it's Charlie Brown. But if you watch the movie, you'll be like, wow, this is really a stupid movie. Wouldn't people tend to say that the Charlie Brown Christmas movie and the Charlie Brown Halloween movie are kind of the most memorable ones? The most memorable? Yeah, but are they memorable? The Great Pumpkin, but it yeah. has the greatest name. Like, it's the sure. Great Pumpkin. So, like, that in that regard, that Charlie Brown movie. Um, but... But okay, so I I did grab some of these movies off the list that are just and I don't have the the where they place, but My Blue Heaven is on this list. So this is another uh well, planes, trains and automobiles, and I would say Uncle Buck feels Thanksgiving y, though I can't remember what season it is. I feel like it's winter. So Uncle have you seen Uncle Buck? No. Oh my god. Okay, so <laughs> it's this weekend. Watch Uncle Buck. We'll talk about it next week. <laughs> Um, Uncle Buck's a John Candy movie, and I believe Steve Martin. My Blue Heaven, also a Steve Martin movie. Have you seen that no. one? Okay, there's another one. That's <laughs> these are you know you got to watch these on your th- on your Thanksgiving break here. So um, those are my favorite. But there's Grumpy Old Men. Have you seen yes. that one? Okay, so that one feels like a very good. But there's other ones. Paul Blart Mall Cop. Unfortunately, I have seen that one. It's not the worst, but it's not Thanksgiving. No. Like a guy working in a mall. So I don't know. Maybe it's Thanksgiving time when that happens. Sure. But but Paul Blart Mall Cop, that doesn't Adam's Family Values. Why is this on the Thanksgiving list? Unless they unless it's like ironic because Adam's family, you would go Halloween. Sure. But maybe it's the Thanksgiving themed. I've not, I haven't seen or remember this at all. No. So it's very weird. Some of these movies on Spider-Man 2002 with Tobey Maguire. So the first Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. Why that is that was pretty, I mean, I remember it as being a good movie. I have no memory of any Thanksgiving element of it. Yeah. So an, another one. Okay. So that we've we've come to the conclusion there are there are no good, no real good. I would say Uncle Buck though. I can't believe you haven't seen Uncle Buck. I mean, just everybody go find Uncle Buck at your local blockbuster. <laughs> Uh, bring the VHS cassette home and pop it into VCR. I actually have Uncle Buck on VHS. I've I burned. I literally burned. Created a hole in the ozone above that that barrel. But I literally burned all my VHS tapes at some point in time. Probably something we all should do with CDs. Although CDs are making a comeback and uh, anything else. But I kept Uncle Buck and I kept uh, Fletch with uh, it's a like a journalism type movie with um, the guy from A Christmas. I know what you're talking about. Christmas vacation. Who's that? John? Ah, I forgot his name. Anyway, it's not important. Uh, Very, like, uh, so those are the only VHS. I don't have a VCR, but those are the only VHS tapes I have. Um, All right. So do we want to get into 
Do we want to get into some of this political stuff? I, I mean, I have the political science professor on. We got a little bit. I mean, we've we've got we've got another whole segment to talk. I don't want to. I don't think I want to do the sheriff's race yet. Okay. We we do. It sounds like we have a new sheriff. Um, but before that, the the Republicans who control the state legislature in Wisconsin dropped this little nugget this week um, because we have a well. The, first of all, news came out six point six billion dollar budget surplus by July. The estimation, right? And the 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 number is peculiar because by July is when the state legislature would finally figure out what a budget and when that what to do with this billion billions of dollars in budget surplus, which is. I feel like pitchforks and tiki torches, if they don't do something with six point six billion before July, we need to riot the Capitol. I'm inci- I'm, I'm arrest me and Donald Trump for, for insinuating that we need to riot at the Capitol. Rick, we have a dysfunctional relationship between the legislature and the governor, and on top of that, we had election year politics. So there was no way that anything was gonna be done with the budget surplus. Up until the most recent election this November. Now we know that the governor was reelected. Governor Evers was reelected and the Republicans basically maintained similar majorities to what they previously had in the state legislature. But now what has changed is, as you mentioned, the amount of money in the budget surplus. We had noted that it was billions and billions of dollars. Now it's going to be $6.6 billion by next July. It's a good problem to have, obviously, because there's significantly more money in the state's war chest than was projected. At the same time, Rick, given the dysfunctional relationship between the legislature and the governor, even a good problem to have is going to be difficult to solve. There's already back and forth about education funding, certainly about tax cuts. So it's going to be hard to resolve this issue of what to do with the extra money, even when you would think that there should be some common ground to find on this issue. Well, and I had Steve Doyle on a couple of days ago, and he said he wasn't really part of the talks. Mm-hmm. And because I asked him, you know, like, what are the talks like when we're deciding what to do with this billions of dollars? And then, you know, at the same time he's on, this story from the AP comes out. And I'm like, oh, okay. So it looks like Democrats who, you know, there was a stat how many bills got a hearing in the the state legislature last uh, session, and it was like two percent of them were Democratic bills that got a hearing, let alone a vote, two percent, something like that. Um, so like the, the state legislature isn't even listening to Democrats. So it's kind of funny. Like, okay, you're not going to listen to Democratic Assembly people who are elected, and then you're not going to. Then, then the only person you're bargaining with is the governor who then would have to like go to what the Democrats in the assembly. So that's funny. But then also the first paragraph of, Hey, how are we going to divvy out this uh, GOP leaders push for long-term tax cuts and, and it's always tax cuts, right? With the Republicans. And that's fine. It always sounds good. If you just say tax cuts, because they're like, Oh, my taxes are going to get cut. But then you read, you only got to get into the first paragraph. Wisconsin Republican legislative leaders said Tuesday, they want to stop the. They want to tap the state's projected six point six billion dollar budget surplus to make transformational and once a generation tax law changes. Okay, sounds intriguing. And then including eliminating a tax paid by businesses. Okay, what businesses? And then lowering income taxes for the wealthy filers, for the most wealthy filers. Oh, good. We need to lower their taxes. Great. Rick, it was predictable that Republicans would target tax reform. It had been widely predicted that if Tim Michaels, the Republican candidate for governor, had won the election, then 
most or all of the budget surplus would have been used to make significant tax reductions. We know that Tim Michaels had been eyeing the idea of a flat tax where everyone would pay the same tax rate right. regardless of your income. Now, obviously, that's not going to happen because Tim Michaels was not elected governor. And Tony Evers, of course, would flatly reject the idea of a flat tax. We definitely wouldn't have a budget surplus anymore if we had a flat tax because there wouldn't be a budget anymore. We would be we would be going to referendum to pay for everything. Um, but it is funny that they they're even like hovering around because this isn't a flat tax idea, but they're hovering around that. Hey, you know what we should do? We should do the thing that didn't get our governor uh, nominee elected. Let's do that. Yeah, Rick. I mean, it does get back to what signal this election is sending to the Republicans in the legislature. Certainly the fact that Tony Evers was able to defeat Tim Michaels has sent them some kind of a message. But I think interpreting this election is a really interesting process for these Republican leaders. How do they interpret the fact that Tim, that Tony Evers was able to defeat their candidate by several percentage points? So I think that they are open to a deal on education. It's going to be very tough to find out what to to sort out the details. I think there is a deal potentially to be had on tax cuts, but sorting out the details is going to be difficult. So I think Governor Evers wants to see tax reductions and wants to see more education funding. The Republicans might be willing to play ball, but it's going to be kind of painful and probably a long process to reach an agreement on these things. Thank goodness, by the way, that we don't have a budget deficit as opposed to a budget surplus. Which was predicted, and then all of a sudden we had billions of budget surplus. I I mean, you want to see a dysfunctional relationship (laughs) between a Democratic governor and a Republican legislature? Have Have them with a hole in the budget as opposed to a budget surplus. So thank goodness, just for the sake of the state, that we have this budget surplus. It's still going to be difficult and painful and more difficult and more painful than it needs to be for these two sides to reach an agreement. But at least we have a surplus instead of the opposite. Yeah, and Evers had floated tax cuts, but I think the tax cuts were 10% to people making under $125,000, mm-hmm. which would be great instead of the people, you know, making over uh, whatever the amount is, millions of dollars. Um, all right, when we come back, we'll uh, continue the conversation with uh, about Thanksgiving and Christmas and holidays, I'm sure. It's the most. So the best part of Andy Williams' Christmas songs is that he doesn't waste any time getting into it. Like it comes out with fireworks. Like the grand finale is the beginning of the song. Just hits you right away, and then he gets mellow a little bit. But this is one of uh, this is the one of the better Christmas songs. Also, I just get nostalgic listening to Christmas because I just I remember complaining about these songs, riding with my grandpa to my other grandparents' Christmas, uh, and and him putting this. Come on, grandpa, put. Put some good music on. You're playing these stupid old songs. So, I mean, I say this every year, but that's that's the time. We get nostalgic about this stuff. Is that how you feel about this stuff? You, I don't know. Do you hearken back to your childhood days riding with, I don't know. Well, Andy Williams, of course. I have gotten a new appreciation for Andy Williams in my advanced age, Rick. Are you riding with grandparents, your grandparents and they're listening to Mariah Carey? Is that how that goes? <laughs> that I don't believe that ever happened. Right, which should be a red flag for you that Mariah Carey should not be tops on your list of Christmas music. 
All I want for Christmas is you is a top five Christmas song. I know are we there, disagree about that. That's just my view. There, just my view. Are there other Mariah Carey Christmas songs? Well, no, that's the only one. Oh, that okay. is See, any, I mean, because Andy Williams got a whole CD. But that song is so good. It's the only one you even need to put her right on the top of the list of Christmas music singers. I mean, it might be the best thing ever is to come up with some kind of Christmas song, one hit wonder, right? Like we hear this all sure. the time, but one hit wonder Christmas, and then like you're the most popular artist for a time. And you probably, Mariah Carey probably has tens of millions of dollars just from the one song. Oh, yeah. Imagine how much money she's made from that song on top of all of the other hits she's had over the years. Mariah Carey, if she has a Christmas concert and she only sings the one song, we're still, is Ticketmaster charging us (laughs) $38,000? I mean, is it getting that high? Mariah Carey Christmas concert, $38,000 a ticket. Are we crashing the Ticketmaster system trying to get tickets for that? I can't wait to, to understand how... I love that maybe Congress is going to go after that monopoly. And it's, and we talked about that last week, uh, just the idea that Congress is going to go after that one monopoly because of Taylor Swift. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's let's dive into the, the sheriff's race a little bit. We, we, we do have a sheriff now. Uh, he doesn't get any of the attention over the last two weeks, except because except the, for the fact that he won the election. But all the attention went on to his opponent. So John Siegel, the Democrat in the race and. I would say both of those guys don't want to be labeled as Democrat or Republican, but also also both of those guys, yeah, this is how we do, you know, this is how we've done races in Wisconsin. So it's partisan, and that's how it's going to be. Uh, they could they could call for significant change to to how we do sheriffs races, and we could pull all the new sheriffs in the state. There's 72 of them, right? 72 counties, and just find out, hey, do you guys want to be partisan in this? Because maybe maybe we wouldn't. And, uh, some of this would go away, but we have we had a, a recount and then a, a really kind of um, interesting way to I don't even I, I, like I'm trying to be delicate here because these are just people in our community. But but when we're going after UW lacrosse students for voting, that's literally the problem that we had with this election in terms of Republican Fritz Leinfelder. Uh, losing the election after the recount, he actually lost by one more vote than than he originally did. But then he goes after the the UW Lacrosse student college base and their ability to to have a voice in elections, which seems, hey, Republicans, if you want to alienate voters some more, just go after them directly. Yeah, Rick, let's back up. So John Siegel, the Democrat, had, was declared the winner of the election. He won by 175 votes. There was a recount done on 13 of the 26 wards in the city of Lacrosse. It did not change the outcome. I think it added a net yep, of added one, one vote added to one Siegel. Vote. Yep. So first of all, just congratulations to the city of Lacrosse for showing how accurate the vote count was in the first place. And I think that just increases trust in the election system at a time when the election system is really coming under a lot of skepticism in the country. This should be just a fantastic example of our ability to have confidence in elections, that we went through this whole process of recounting over 10,000 ballots, I believe, and the net vote changed by a grand total of one. Right. So just fantastic example of how well run our elections are here locally. And I think one of those votes was just like a was it like a got stuck in the voting yeah. machine or something like that, which is always kind of funny. Yeah, like, and that happens. Like these things happen and the recount cleans it up and it cleans up the very very minimal amount of mishaps that we do have with our election system. So we find out that the result doesn't change and that the Democrat John Siegel has 
defeated the Republican candidate for La Crosse County Sheriff Fritz Leinfelder. Now, there was then an objection filed after that recount happened, an objection filed by Fritz Leinfelder, filed with La Crosse County Clerk Ginny Dankmeyer. And basically, the objection was that there were over a thousand voters that shouldn't have been allowed to vote because they aren't permanent residents of La Crosse County. Now, what happened was there was a, a four lists of over 1,200 voters who were almost all UW Lacrosse students. Almost all of these people who were identified by Leinfelder appeared on our list of students at UW Lacrosse. And so the objection was well, are they really? permanent residents if they are UW lacrosse students. But as Ginny Denkmeyer pointed out in her response to Leinfelder, that actually is not relevant. Basically, in order to cast a vote, students have to reside in a ward for 28 days, be a U.S. resident, and be at least 18 years on or before Election Day of age. That is it. That is the grand total of requirements. And so if someone lives on campus, let's say they live in a dorm, if they live in that dorm for 28 days, they can vote with that address at their dorm. That is Wisconsin law. And so, Rick, I was really baffled when I read this complaint by Leinfelder because I was wondering, well, is he concerned about how the vote actually turned out or is he trying to advocate for a change in the law? Because quite clearly, these students were following the law as long as they had demonstrated that they had been a resident, they had resided in this area in La Crosse for 28 days, they were a citizen, and they were 18 years or old. As Ginny Denkmeyer said, student status is not a consideration for determining residence. And state law acknowledges that students move a lot. So it is appropriate to make exceptions for them. We want college students to be able to exercise their constitutional right to vote. And so my suggestion would be that instead of trying to go after college students and their right to vote, candidates should put more effort into persuading college students to vote for them. So this whole thing was extremely disappointing to me, Rick. And by the way, the health of our community, in large part, depends on many of these same students choosing to stay here. Well, that's what I was going to say is the, the next thing is, okay, so you're, you're like, saying that... What kind of a message does this send to are, them? You're saying that college students shouldn't vote in local election because they're not part of the community? College students are going to live here for, if, if they go home for summer and, and yeah. by, by after freshman year and a lot of freshmen too, just stay here over the summer too. You know, If they're in the dorm, then they go home. Mm-hmm. Then, and then by sophomore year, they're not in the dorm anymore. They're renting a place, so then... They're affected by property taxes based on rent, and they're part of the community. And in a sheriff's race, they're going to be affected by sheriffs if they're doing something inappropriate from speeding to whatever. So, you know, who they want to represent them in a community that they're going to live for with in four years. But if you're going to alienate them and then also like, oh, so you actually don't want us to live here after we graduate because a lot of people – stay after they graduate they get an internship they're student teaching a lot right and then they just take that internship or student teaching job into a full-time job right where there's they're at and that would be in lacrosse i know i am i lived in stevens point for a year after college and i i always think like man it'd be fun to go back and live there because it's a community that i spent five years of my life at and you know i i would love there's a nostalgic there but i think a lot of people 
You know, so like, let's not try to alienate the the people that are growing up from 18 to like 23 and not try to alienate them and tell them you don't get the vote here. You don't represent us. Absolutely, Rick. And I thought that this campaign was high quality. When you look at the campaigns that John Siegel and Fritz Leinfelder ran, I thought that they really focused on the issues. I thought that it was a substantive campaign. It was a high-quality well, campaign. And Fritz yesterday even made a joke that he's he said, like, me and Siegel should take this show on the road and show the politicians how it's done, how we don't go after each other yeah. and attack each other. And, you know, we everybody that I talk to is so sick. Steve Doyle, you know, the other day was so stick, sick of – the attack ads, and and these two didn't do that until now. It's just such a disappointment that this campaign ended on this note. Of course, we would say that Fritz Leinfelder was completely within his rights under Wisconsin law to request a recount. The margin was 0.32%. You can request a recount under that situation. You just have to pay for the recount as the campaign, and he did that, so there's nothing wrong with that. It's completely within his right to do that, but just such a disappointment that this campaign that had been such a good campaign in terms of the candidates not slinging mud at one another, the candidates focusing on the issues. Such a letdown that this campaign ended on this bizarre complaint about college students voting. And again, Rick, persuade the students to vote for you. They're open-minded. If you think that they're closed-minded, then you're just buying into stereotypes that are not true. College students are open-minded by and large. They're no less open-minded than anyone else in the public. They can be persuaded to vote for you if you meet them where you're at and you campaign on the issues that matter to them. So it's Well, just, I would say college students aren't political at all because they, they don't even know half of them. Are, like when I was in college, I didn't even know what elections really were except when the presidential thing came around. And then, you know, beyond that, like – oh, there's city council and sheriff's races and all these local elections that are more important to them than than anything. But also, like, Fritz also said something, like, he kind of, like, he didn't go on with a lawsuit because the lawsuit would have taken a year or more to settle. Sure. And, and that was a time frame that he didn't have the energy or time to put into because he's also still working, right? Like right. He's still an investigator at this point under John Siegel in the investigator at the La Crosse County Sheriff's Office. But that was weird reasoning. Like I like if you believe that, then then but you don't want to because it's going to take too long. Go go after uh, the college. Well, Rick, I mean, the reason to not pursue this lawsuit is because the lawsuit is completely without merit. I mean, that's the reason not to do the lawsuit. Yeah, it's just I mean, and you're obviously you're passionate about this because I believe you're you're kind of the overseer of the. Democrats and the Republican and another student. political. I'm, I'm, I've been I'm involved with three student organizations that deal with politics on campus. I'm involved with conservative students. I'm involved with moderate students. I'm involved with liberal students. Rick, they are very open minded. They are open to being persuaded. If you can convince them that you will serve their interests, that you will do the things that they care about. So college students, as we talked about, Rick, like this big myth about college students is that they're closed-minded, that they just don't listen to people. The reality is that they're very open-minded because they're just now developing their values. They're now developing their points of view. Well, and these two candidates, they they did a campaign right. They didn't go after each other. And, they and did I it think right. They did it the right you, way. You talk about how the attack ads work, and they always, they, they swing. They do. They, they do. Somehow they work, but also everybody that I talk to is sick of them and doesn't want to hear them and turns off the TV, turns down the radio. 
And apparently they don't work. So, so I, a, you know, I ask it every time, what is it? But also, like, I feel like college students are in the same boat. They'd be like, man, eye-rolling attack ads. I don't even know if I want to vote for this, this race, let alone. And, Rick, here's how you resolve that contradiction. If there's an attack ad against a candidate, then that candidate must respond with an attack ad of their own, and it becomes a spiral. So once the can of worms is open, then we go down a trail of negativity in a campaign. It's just the reality of how the campaign strategy works nowadays. But if you stay positive, then that's fine. Then that's a great way for a campaign to run. And you don't necessarily have to stay positive. You just have to focus on the issues. The issues can be negative. Focus on the issues. But you want to take the negative issues and tell us how you're going to fix them, which is always what I want when I bring a candidate in here. Here's the dilemma. Steve Doyle the other day. Dilemma. $6.6 billion budget. What are we going to do with it? He's not even part of the talks at that point. So I just want to make it crystal clear to everyone listening. Like this complaint is meritless the students who voted the uw lacrosse students who voted in this election did nothing wrong they exercised their constitutional right to vote and if a candidate has a problem with that then they should have spent more time campaigning and trying to convince the students to vote for them yeah and then like going forward too it's it's a little bit dangerous because you're these these people are getting involved in politics for the first time ever And now you're shaping their views by alienating them. And then they're going to go forward and feel like, oh, remember that dude? Remember that guy? He was part of this party. And then apparently that party doesn't want me to be represented. And what does it show about our community when we have... You know, a complaint saying, hey, these thousand students who voted in the city of La Crosse, yeah, they shouldn't have been allowed to do that. How does that reflect on our community, Rick, when we say that students shouldn't have a voice like that? And by the way, when they followed the law and we still make that claim about students, it's just it just is like I said, Rick, it's beyond disappointing because this sheriff's campaign had gone so well up until this point, And then it just went down this bizarre, bizarre conclusion. Yeah, the only other thing I will say is I, I wonder in generally if Republicans or Democrats, Republicans in Wisconsin are gerrymandering the maps. I wonder generally if they want college students to just go home and vote or vote in their representative homes like their parents where they grew up before college. Because then the then Republicans who are gerrymandering the maps might not know where these votes are coming from these votes that they always say college kids are Democrats, but that even though that's not really that true, it's not because again, college students are still developing their point of view. They haven't firmly by and large committed to one party or the other. Rick, I will say college students can potentially vote absentee from their address where maybe they're, they live with their parents. That can absolutely happen. But under Wisconsin law, they do have the option of re-registering, changing their address on their registration to where they live while they're going to college. Yeah, and that is they, completely fine where under they live, Wisconsin law. Where they live for nine of the 12 months of the year for four to six years or Absolutely. 10 years, depending on how many years a kid goes and to college. And where they have a real stake in our local government, how our local government works. Yeah, and it'd be good to, to appease them and try to retain them because we want the college kids to, uh, I say yeah. kids, but they're adults. Listen uh, we listen, want them to stay in the community after they graduate. Listen to them. Try to persuade them to vote for you. And ultimately, let's all try to do our best to encourage these college students to stay here for the long-term vibrancy and health of our community. All right. We're just going to wrap up quick when we come back. Just for you. Just 
You can like Andy Williams and Mariah Carey. Well, what we just discovered as I tried to find a third Andy Williams song is his uh, <laughs> ability to have rocking Christmas songs that are upbeat and happy and joyful and come out with fireworks is two. It's pretty much just two. There's yep. only two. <laughs> and Mariah Carey, for one of us, is. And we also one. didn't want to go with Moon River by Andy Williams. No, Moon Seemed River a little was. odd this time of year. Yeah. And in this segment here, real quick, because uh, it, we went, we went ranted and raved. We did. About. You know, and it's it's a little it's a it's a little itchy to rant and rave about something that's so local, um, but also just uh, it, it was an outlier in terms of of what was the dilemma there in the sheriff's race. But anyway, uh, that's gonna wrap it up for uh, you know our Thanksgiving, post Thanksgiving, our Black Friday heading into Cyber Monday, yeah, Black November. Thanks a lot, Chagoski. Thank you.